You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Give them all. Give them all to Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, chapter 3. We're going to finish out the book of James, or not finish out the book of James tonight. We're going to finish out the third chapter of the book of James tonight. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, we're going to read together. There is not a whole lot of uh, extraneous material in this message tonight, and not a whole lot of flash and dash, and uh, not a whole lot of uh, frills and and uh, ribbons and and bows and all of that kind of stuff because it doesn't really lend itself to that. We're going to really walk through this thing almost word for word tonight because the subject matter is not one that leaves a whole lot of room for levity or a whole lot of room for for saucing it up, and it really doesn't need to. The subject matter of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 is wisdom. And so we're going to be thinking about and, and talking about divine wisdom or genuine wisdom or true wisdom. Uh, you give it the title that, that you would like to, uh, to give it. But tonight we're going to be dealing with what James says about wisdom. And James is so practical. He is always so practical uh, as we study through the book. And if you uh, have been with us now up to this point, then you've picked that up. That the Apostle James is very, very practical in everything that he says uh, in all of his teachings. Uh, we dealt with uh, a couple of weeks ago where he talked about faith. And he says, well, it's one thing to say that you've got faith, but it's another thing to exemplify that faith with your works. And James ultimately came down and he said, listen, if you say you've got faith, but that faith is not w- backed up by a changed life, if that faith is not backed up by, by a new way of living, by, by a new kind of behavior, then your faith is dead. You don't have faith at all. You can call it faith all you want to, he says, but it's not genuine faith. And that kind of faith, he says, cannot cannot save you. So James is interested more in your works than he is in your words, and he brings everything down to that practical level of living where you and I can apply it and and put it in shoe leather, if you will. He's not interested in the Christian life being some kind of theory, and a lot of folks want to talk about a lot of theory in the Christian life, but James always says, well, bring your theory down on earth. Bring your theory down to daily practice, and if your theory doesn't meet your practice, then something is wrong with your faith. And he says it's an empty faith, and it's a dead faith. And he really kind of says that same type thing tonight about wisdom. He says there's a wisdom that says it's wisdom, but then he says there's a wisdom that's genuine wisdom, and that wisdom is backed up by some action. And so uh, in verse 13, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Then let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And there he is. He's bringing it back down to earth again. And he says, now listen, who among you says that he's wise? If you're really wise, then back that wisdom up. Show that wisdom by your good behavior and your gentleness of, of wisdom and your gentleness of spirit. So uh, James brings it down and applies it in a very practical way. Let's go on and read verse 14 through 18, and then we'll get into the study. But he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy 
and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so James deals with this kind of divine, this kind of godly wisdom. And as we get into it, he's going to, con he's going to uh, compare that kind of wisdom with what the world calls wisdom. And he's going to come to the conclusion that if your wisdom is like this, then it's of God. If your wisdom is like this, then it's of the world and it is not of God. But James brings it all very practically down to a very practical level. And so as we study this tonight, I want us to do it in, under, the, under three topics. First of all, let's notice the value of wisdom. The value of wisdom. In verse 13, he says, Who among you is wise and has understanding? Now, God's Word, from very beginning to end, places a great uh, amount of that in a primary place. Now, notice what James says, or what he does not say. James does not say, Is any among you wealthy? He does not say, is any among you intelligent? He doesn't say, is any among you popular? Or is it, are any of you among you uh, successful in the world's eyes? He doesn't say that. He says, is any among you wise? And he places a great value upon this thing of wisdom. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of James a little more, you'll notice that almost in every chapter, he mentions this thing of wisdom. And he is really just reiterating what God's word has said from very beginning to end, that there is a tremendous value in acquiring and gaining and having wisdom. Let me take just a couple of moments to, to contrast what God's Word says about wisdom uh, with some things that we in our world have a tendency to place a great amount of value upon, and our, the Scripture always uh, lets wisdom come out on top. Let's just take a, just a moment and look at a couple of those things. Uh, if you've got a, uh, a wet tongue and quick fingers, then you can turn in the passages with me, and if, you, if you're not, then just kind of take notes and go back and read them later, and I'll read them for you. But first of all, in this thinking about the value of wisdom that James mentions, God's Word says that wisdom is, is, is so valuable to have that it is in fact more valuable or it is better than money. Now, you know, that sounds good. You expect me to say that. I mean, you know, it's spiritual to say those kinds of things, but, but really down deep inside, let's get honest, James. You mean wisdom is better than money? <laughs> I mean, you know, if we look at it just from the worldly perspective, we're going to go, well, that sounds good in theory, but that's not practical. I mean, let's really get practical. Well, James is getting practical. He always does get practical. And the scripture does very clearly say that wisdom is better than anything. It places a high premium, a high value upon wisdom and says that wisdom is better than money. Proverbs, the book of wisdom, as a matter of fact, chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Listen to what Solomon says about this thing of wisdom being greater and of more value than money. He says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for its profit. Listen, its profit, wisdom's profit is better than the profit of silver and its gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. And so Solomon says that wisdom is more valuable than monetary power. Wisdom is greater than money. It is greater than riches. Now our world, we all know what our world says. Our world says that uh, it's better to be wealthy than it is to be wise. <laughs> well, God's Word 
flip-flops that as it does most of the attitudes and the, the thought processes of our world and says it is better to be wise than to be wealthy. Now, it's best if you can be both. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that either. It's best if you can be wise and wealthy, but if you have to make a choice and you have to put a value upon them, God's Word always says it is better to be wise than it is to be wealthy. Now, our world doesn't think that way. Many of us don't really think that way when we get right down to it. Let's imagine this scenario. Imagine, and you read about this periodically, and this does in fact happen every now and then, you read about it in the newspapers, that when a great sum of money is going to be transferred from one location to another, uh, what do they do when that great sum of money is being transferred from one place to another? Well, they put it in an armored car that has walls that are six inches of solid lead, and, and uh, they put a, a two or three guys inside the back door with submachine guns and, and armored vests and all that kind of stuff, and they put a, a, an armored car in front of that one, and they put an armored car behind that one, and they put, I guess, a troop of soldiers running along the side of that thing. Why do they have to do that? Why do they do that? Because men want wealth, don't they? And there are people that are willing to, to rob. There are people that are willing to steal to get that, and so they have to protect it. But let's just imagine for a moment if you could take an armored car full of wisdom. <laughs> If you could take a truckload of wisdom, I wonder how much you would need to guard that truckload of wisdom that you were transporting from one place to another. Do you think that you'd even have to put one guard on it? Probably not. Because you see, our world puts a great, much greater value upon wealth than it does upon wisdom. But God's Word says that wisdom is better than monetary power. Now Solomon was a man that had the best of both worlds. He was a very wise man but he was also a very wealthy man. And when God came to Solomon, as a matter of fact, Solomon was the greatest father of David, but when Solomon came to the throne, when Solomon was about to be uh, on that, that place of leadership over Israel, you remember in 2 Chronicles, the scripture says that God came to Solomon and he said, Solomon, ask whatever you will. Ask whatever you will and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, give me uh, wisdom and understanding he said give me wisdom and understanding and god said solomon because you have not asked for wealth because you have not asked for the things of this world then i am going to give you wisdom but then he said but on top of that the cherry on top of it all is i'm going to give you great wealth and power like no man that has come before you or any man that will ever be after you because Solomon didn't desire the wealth, God gave, he desired the wisdom. God gave him the wisdom, and then he followed it up by giving him the wealth as well. It's better than, better than wealth, but second of all, it's better than might. Not only is wisdom better than money, but it's better than might. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. Listen to what the wisdom writer says. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom, he says, is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Not only is wisdom from the biblical viewpoint, better than, than money, but it is also better than military might. It is better than strength. It's better than power. Now, we spend billions upon billions of dollars in our country for military power, and 
uh, we probably need to because we live in a world where that, where that talks and we, need, we live in a world that if men are going to be free, then that's going to be the case. It's a sad case that it has to be that way. But we spend billions upon billions upon billions every year in our country for, our, for our weapons, for, for our military might. But I wonder, I wonder how much time, how much money, and how much energy we spend in searching for men of wisdom to oversee those weapons. How much energy is there put in in our country to find men that are willing to walk with God? that are willing to listen to the Spirit of God, men of wisdom to oversee those weapons. The wisdom writer says that wisdom really is better than money. It really is better than military might. But thirdly, he says, it's better than mental might as well. It's better than money, it's better than might, and it's better than mental power. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. This is a great passage of Scripture. I'm going to read all five or six verses of it. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, speaking of wisdom, and she will guard you. Love her and she will. Wisdom is to acquire wisdom. And with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Solomon says again that wisdom is better and is better to have than even mental power. He says that wisdom is the primary thing. Wisdom is the thing to acquire. He says, now gain knowledge... Gain understanding, but first of all, he says, the primary thing is to gain wisdom. Have you noticed that the Bible almost always links wisdom and knowledge together? They almost are always together. When you read of wisdom, usually knowledge follows shortly after that, and that's an important point. It always puts wisdom and knowledge together, but wisdom always comes first. He says, acquire wisdom and understanding, wisdom and knowledge. That's what James does. If you look again in verse 13, he talks about that. He, uh, uh, he says, is any among, uh, among you, if it, who among you is wise and understanding? He lists wisdom first, which is always the way the scripture does it. Now that word understanding can equally well be translated as knowledge. It can equally well be translated as knowledge. And he says to have knowledge, but first of all, he says to acquire wisdom. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think wisdom always comes before knowledge in the scriptures? Because without wisdom, a man who has knowledge is dangerous. Without wisdom, a man who has knowledge is dangerous. You see, you can give somebody all of the knowledge and the education and the understanding and all of that. You can give them all of that in the world, but if that individual does not have wisdom, what do you got? You got an educated fool. And an educated fool is a very dangerous thing. And so the scripture says, acquire understanding, but first of all, seek after wisdom. You see, wisdom gives the ability to apply knowledge. And if you don't have the ability to apply your knowledge, then you're going to apply that knowledge in a wrong way. And so he says, find wisdom, have wisdom, and then acquire knowledge. Wisdom gives the ability to apply our knowledge in a way that it brings glory 
to God. But an educated man that does not have the Spirit of God to teach him how to apply knowledge is a dangerous, dangerous individual. That knowledge can even be scriptural knowledge, as a matter of fact. You might be surprised to hear me say that, but scriptural knowledge apart from the wisdom of God is dangerous. Even scriptural knowledge apart from the wisdom of God is a very dangerous commodity to have. It's worthless, as a matter of fact. It does more harm than good without the wisdom to know how to apply it. And so scripture places a great value upon this thing of wisdom. Now, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Let me give you a couple of things that will help you to understand that. The difference between wisdom and knowledge. First of all, you get knowledge by studying. You get wisdom by the Spirit of God. You get knowledge by studying. You get wisdom by the Spirit of God. You get knowledge by looking around you in the world and studying the world, but you get wisdom by looking up to the Father. You get knowledge by learning, by studying, but wisdom is a gift. Wisdom is given of God. We're never told in the scripture to pray for knowledge. Never told to pray for knowledge. As a matter of fact, we're told to study for knowledge. Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved a workman that need not be ashamed. But we're told to pray for wisdom because you see, you study, you work to gain knowledge, but wisdom is a gift of God. And so James says in chapter 1 verse 5, does any of you lack wisdom? Then let him ask of God. And he who gives to all men liberally and without reproach will give wisdom to you. You see, knowledge comes by, by study, but wisdom comes by the Spirit. Wisdom comes from God. Now, I'm not belittling knowledge and, and education. Uh, I know there are circles today that do that an awful lot, that look down upon and, and discourage a lot of education. I think that's foolish. I think it's very foolish, uh, as after all, the Scripture does say to study, to show yourself, approve. You see, God is not supernaturally going to bestow upon you knowledge if you haven't, first of all, paid the price. I was in seminary with a group of guys, and, and there are always a group of these who uh, go through what they call the spiritual stage, what, what I guess you could call the spiritual stage, and, and I, I guess it comes with a, uh, with a little bit of uh, uh, cynicism after you've been in... Uh, in theological study for a while, you have a tendency sometimes to, to become cynical, and I guess that is, it's, this is an outgrowth of cynicism, but where after a while, there's always a group that says, listen, you don't need commentaries. You don't need to understand the Greek. You don't need to understand the Hebrew. Just ask God and let him tell you what to say. <laughs> you know, uh, when one of those guys stand, stands in the pulpit, you can usually tell that's what he's done. <laughs> You can usually tell that he hasn't done a whole lot of studying. He hasn't done what Paul told Timothy to do. He hasn't studied to show himself approved. He just had some kind of spiritual idea about this thing of knowledge, and he just decided, well, look, if I just pray, and then I stand up there and, and open God's Word, then he is going to miraculously reveal to me what he wants to say. God miraculously reveals when his servant has paid the price of discipline. We're told to study for knowledge, but we're told to pray for wisdom. Knowledge comes by looking around. Wisdom comes by looking up to the Father. And the Scripture places a, a high premium, a high value upon this thing of wisdom. So the Scripture says, first of all, seek wisdom. But let's go from there to the virtues of wisdom, from the value to the virtues of wisdom. Continue with me in verse 13 for just a moment. He says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Then let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Now, 
uh, James describes wisdom here. Uh, again, he's so practical, he's never satisfied to leave it out in the air there and to leave it in the abstract, and so he wants to bring it down where you live, so he describes this thing of wisdom. And he tells us two things about godly wisdom, wisdom that comes from the Father and how that wisdom is shown. And you want to know if you have wisdom from God tonight? Then listen to what the Scripture says here. He says there are two characteristics of it. He says, first of all, in verse 13, this wisdom is shown by its good deeds. This wisdom that comes from God is shown by its good deeds. You see, James, again, is more interested in your works than he is in your words. And he says real wisdom is going to be reflected in your behavior. And he gets it out of theory, and he puts it in shoe leather right where we live. Practical wisdom, he says, that is of God is going to make a change in your behavior. But not only is it going to be manifested in good deeds, he says, it's going to be manifested in a gentle demeanor. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 13. In the gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom, in other words, that is of God, is gentle. That means it's not haughty, it's not arrogant, it's proud. It's not proud. It is gentle. Now, what does he mean by gentle? In the gentleness of wisdom. Well, it doesn't mean weak. This word gentle in the original language, as a matter of fact, I did my study, by the way. <laughs> I paid the price and, and found this out. This word gentle in the original language means level or even. It means to be on a level keel or an even kind of keel. In the gentleness of wisdom. In other words, someone who has the wisdom of God doesn't need to, to go around with their head bowed, afraid that they're going to step on somebody or they're going to hurt somebody's feelings, always looking up to people as if they're better than them. But neither does he also have to go around with his head raised, with his nose in the air, always looking down at people. But in the gentleness of wisdom, he has the ability to look people level right in the eye and to see people as they really are and to see things as they really, really are. So James says that if you have wisdom from God, it's going to manifest itself in good deeds, but it's also going to ma manifest itself in a gentle demeanor. Now, James being the good teacher that he is, and he is a good teacher, he really has all the characteristics of, a, of an excellent, excellent teacher. But James being the good teacher that he is, he always illustrates and contrasts in order to bring a point home. Have you noticed those people that are, that are good teachers that you come away, you really feel like you've learned something? They always will illustrate it. They'll always contrast in order to help you get a little bit deeper into an understanding of what they're trying to say. And James does that here. And he begins to contrast and he begins to illustrate this wisdom. So in verses 14 and 15, he does this illustration and this contrasting to show the virtues of real wisdom that is manifested by good deeds and gentle demeanor, he contrasts that wisdom with the wisdom of the world or with devilish wisdom. You want to know which kind of wisdom? Look at what James says in verses 14 and 15. He says three things about this wisdom from the world to contrast it with the wisdom that's from God. He mentions, first of all, the revelation of this wisdom. How is this wisdom revealed? Verse 14, he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The revelation of this wisdom that is of the world and that is not of God is, is revealed by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, James is saying, and we need to each one of us kind of ask this question tonight. If there exists in your heart, if there exists in my heart, jealousy 
and selfish ambition, James says that wisdom that you possess is not divine, but it is in fact devilish. If there's someone in the body, maybe put it in the form of a question, a rhetorical question, because I don't want you to answer. Is there someone in the body of Christ here in the church of the Lord Jesus that deep down in your heart, you're really envious of that person? And if the truth was known, oh boy, if the truth was known, you'd love to see him fall. If the truth was known, you'd get a thrill out of seeing them fail. Because for a long time, you've been envious of that individual. There's been that selfish ambition. And that's the person that's always noticed. That's the person that's always elected. That's the person that's always nominated or whatever. And deep down in your heart of hearts, there's this kind of envy. And there's this kind of jealousy that, that breeds and grows like a cancer. Is there someone that you always really feel the need to compete with within the body of Christ? Then James says... That's the revelation of the fact that your wisdom is not from God, that it's not divine, but it's devilish. But he goes on and he gives us the roots of that kind of wisdom in verse 15. He says, this wisdom is not from that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is natural, and it is demonic. The revelation of that wisdom is that if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then that's the revelation of the fact that your wisdom is not of God. And then he gives the root of that wisdom, and he says, first of all, that it's earthly. It's an earthly kind of wisdom. In other words, it's the wisdom of the world. It's the way that the world sees things. Now, isn't that really the truth? Isn't that really the way that the world sees things from the basis of envy, of selfish ambition and jealousy and all those kinds of things. You can go into the, the business world or the, or the work world. And, and the common attitude of, of the world, the common attitude in business and everything else is that there is that need, that, that unrepressible need to climb the ladder of success. Rung by rung by rung by rung. And if in the process of climbing the ladder of success, you have to step on a few hands and a few heads, it's okay because it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and it's every man for himself. How many times have you ever heard that? If not in those exact words, at least that attitude comes through. Because you see, that's the wisdom of the world. That's the wisdom of the world. That's where it, that's where it comes from. It's revealed in selfish ambition and, and bitterness and jealousy, but it comes from the world, and that's the way the world thinks of things. And James says it ought not to be so among God's people. It ought not to be so among God's people. But not only is it earthly, he goes on and he says, it's natural. It's natural. It's doing just what comes natural to, to man. It's natural. It means it's the way that the lost man thinks. Now, there's a real message here that we could spend some time on that we want tonight because we don't have the time. But when you and I mirror and, and get involved and get caught up in that kind of run-of-the-mill attitude in the world of business or work or whatever, that jealousy and that envy, do you know what you're doing? You're casting your lot with a lost man. You're identifying yourself with the attitude and the spirit and the way of the world. And James says its root is earthly, it's natural, but finally he says it's devilish. In other words, ultimately, Satan is the author and he is the authority of all of that kind of wisdom. And so, 
James, in talking about the virtues of wisdom, says real wisdom from God is given first, is shown by good deeds and by a gentle demeanor. And help us to understand it, he begins to contrast it with the wisdom of the world. And he says the revelation of it is that it is revealed by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. The root of it, though, is earthly, it's natural, and ultimately it's devilish. And then he says the result of it. In verse 16, and this is where it really gets tough, the result of this wisdom from the world, when it begins to be sown within the body of Christ among God's people. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's the result of the world's wisdom. There is disorder and every evil thing. In other words, the world's wisdom always brings confusion within the body. Because you see, there are two spirits that are diametrically opposed. There is the Spirit of God and there's the Spirit of the world. There's the wisdom of God and there's the wisdom of the world. And when those two try to coexist within the same place, within the same body, then there's confusion and there's disorder. Let me tell you how it works. And you've seen it work, most of you. I hope you never see it again, but you've probably, some of you, seen it work before. In a committee meeting, are in a business meeting in a Baptist church. Do you get cold chills every time you go to a business meeting in a Baptist church? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It ought to be exciting conducting God's business. But in fact, a lot of times it's not, is it? This is how it works, what he's talking about, this result of the world's wisdom. In a business meeting or, or maybe in a committee meeting, there's brother so-and-so that has prayed about something. He's committed it to the Lord, and he has a humble heart before God, and he really has a desire to see the Lord Jesus glorified and lifted up in that meeting. And he stands and he makes the suggestion from the floor of that committee meeting or that business meeting. And it's a, it's a suggestion or it's a point that he's made that he has committed to the Lord in prayer. He has no selfish motives. He has no reason on, on the face of the earth to say this other than the fact that he believes that it's of God and it's what God's people ought to be a part of. He's pure in all of his motives. He sits down. But brother so-and-so that's over here, and I don't mean anything about this crowd over here. You're a pretty good-looking group of people. But brother so-and-so happens to be sitting on the other side. And brother so-and-so down in his heart of hearts has been envious of this fellow over here because he's very well-respected. He's seen as the spiritual leader within the body. He always seems to be the one that comes up with these good ideas. And quite frankly, I'm just getting tired of it. Down deep inside, this kind of attitude begins to boil and begins to bubble. And, and he even admits that it's probably a good idea. But he just can't stand this guy getting the credit for one more good idea. And so what does he do? Can I say something? And he stands and he plants a seed. It's a seed of doubt. It's a seed of question. And question's not bad when it comes from a heart of love, when it comes from a genuine heart of, of, of desire to get God's will. But this, see, this question doesn't come from that source. It comes from a source of bitter jealousy. It comes from a source of envying, a source of selfish ambition. And so he plants that little seed of doubt, and that little seed begins to sprout. And sister so-and-so, or brother so-and-so, I want to be the sisters in on this, she raises her hand, and she mentions something, and then he mentions something, and he mentions something, and almost visibly you can begin to see the lines of battle being drawn. Have you been there before? I have. You can see the lines of battle being drawn within the body of Jesus. And what was an orderly, spirit-led meeting degenerates into a dogfight. 
That's the result of the world's wisdom. Selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And then James says, disorder comes, but then he says, and every evil thing, and you fill in the blanks. You fill in the blanks with anything that you can think of, and that's what follows the world's wisdom of disorder. Every evil thing, slander, lying, and on and on and on. And James says, that is the wisdom of the world. So what about the value of real wisdom? Well, the scripture places a great value on, it's better than money, better than might, better than all of these things. It is the chief thing, he says, to seek after. That's the value of wisdom. The virtue of wisdom is this, that it shows itself in good deeds and in a gentle demeanor as, as contrasted to the wisdom of the world, that selfish ambition and envious jealousy. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the victory of wisdom, verses 17 through 18, the victory of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The victory of wisdom. I want to tell you, folks, the wisdom of God always brings victory. And he lists some characteristics of this wisdom that comes from the Father, and each one of those characteristics is a testimony of the overcoming power of wisdom from God. It's a testimony of the victory-giving power of the wisdom of God. And he says, first of all, this wisdom is pure. That means that this wisdom overcomes sin in a person's life. It deals with sin. The wisdom that comes from God deals with sin. It reveals the, the folly of sin, and it gives that individual that desire to be right before a holy and righteous God. It's pure. It overcomes sin. But second of all, he says it's peaceable. It overcomes strife. Wisdom from God is peaceable. It overcomes strife. Wise people, people that have the wisdom of God that is divinely bestowed when the child of God seeks the Father for wisdom. That's it. You don't learn wisdom, folks. You don't get it with years either. Some of the biggest fools I've ever known in my life were 80 and 90-year-old men and women. You don't get wisdom with years. You get it divinely when God bestows it upon the child of God. Now, listen to that. That's important. You get knowledge maybe with years, but not wisdom. But people that are wise, that are wise with a wisdom that comes from God, know how to get things done without fighting. That doesn't mean you always have to, dis you always have to agree. You know, you can be wrong. Some of you are wrong sometimes, and you know how I know it? Because you disagree with me. <laughs> that's how. I mean, we can, be, we can disagree. You can be wrong, that's your right, but we don't have to fight about it. And the wisdom of God gives the ability to disagree in the spirit and to disagree peaceably. Now, I jest about that. Sometimes you are wrong, but oftentimes it's me that's wrong. Okay, so this is, first of all, he says, pure, it overcomes sin, it's peaceable, it overcomes strife. Third, it's gentle and reasonable. And these two really kind of go together. It's gentle and reasonable. It overcomes stubbornness. It overcomes stubbornness. Now, this word gentle is a different word in the original language than we used before. This word means to fit into. It's a combination of two words, really, a preposition and a noun, and it means to fit into gentle, to fit into. It means the ability to adapt. The ability to adapt. The ability to be reasonable. In other words, the ability to know what's important and what is not important. Now, that's wisdom, folks. That's wisdom that is divinely bestowed. It means that wisdom from God is not stubborn. 
about what doesn't really matter at all. And you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we go to war over things that don't count. Sometimes we really do. We butt heads over things that really and truly don't matter. They really don't count. But the wisdom of God overcomes stubbornness. It's gentle and reasonable. The fourth, he says, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It overcomes selfishness. It overcomes selfishness. It's not always thinking about itself, but it's thinking about others, their needs, their hurts, how they can be fulfilled. And fourthly, or fifthly, or sixthly, or however many, I don't even have these numbered. He says it's unwavering without hypocrisy. What does it overcome? It overcomes snobbishness. That's what the wisdom of God overcomes. It overcomes snobbishness. You see, we've already talked about hypocrisy. James did it a couple of chapters ago when he talked about Goldfinger. You remember him? How sometimes within the body of Christ there's partiality shown. Mr. Goldfinger comes walking in and he's got a, a jewel at every joint, you know, a, a nugget at every knuckle and, and his, his, his wealth is just flashing all over him and he walks into the church and immediately the ushers begin to bow and scrape and say, well, come and you sit at the prize seat. No, but you come out here and you sit in the good seat. And then about that time a working man comes in and he's poor and it's obvious he's got dirt under his fingernails and he says, you stand up and hold the wall up in the back corner there because we really don't want you to be seen. And James says that ought not to be among God's people. That's showing partiality. That's hypocrisy. And that's what James is talking about here. He says wisdom from God is unwavering, and it is without hypocrisy. It overcomes snobbishness. And when you're wise, it gives you the ability to look beyond the outer exterior and look in the very heart of man and see somebody for whom Jesus died and see the heart and see the need for Jesus. James seems to be on a crusade against hypocrisy through this entire little letter he says if you say one thing and you do another it's evidence that you don't have the wisdom of god and he says that shouldn't be among god's people verse 18 and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace wisdom that is sown in peace brings righteousness what about wisdom what does james have to say about wisdom well Wisdom is not gained. Wisdom is given. Wisdom is not learned. It is bestowed by the Spirit of God. He talks about the virtue of wisdom, the value of wisdom, and the victory of wisdom. The victory of wisdom is that it overcomes. It overcomes, and it is sown in peace and in righteousness. Let's pray together.